We want to get into the Word of the Lord this morning, and we're going to try to finish up this series that we started a couple of weeks ago, and um, as has been the case many times, we didn't start it to be a series, but that's just the way it works. But I think you'd rather me break it into a series than spend four hours in one service. Hallelujah. Well, some of you are afraid to say amen, but it's the truth anyhow, and you know it. Um, but I'm going to do my best to try to finish it up today. I said when I introduced this lesson, I am always hesitant to discuss this subject. It was one of the, one of my least favorite, probably the least favorite subject that I know of. In fact, when I started the work in Africa, Bishop Howard had to offer some correction to me because I explained to him how difficult it was for me to go around and ask for donations and, uh, I just hate talking about money. I just hate it. There have been so many charlatans and so many fakes through the years that have made money their goal and their object and the purpose of their ministry. And because of that, it's easy for folks to associate any preacher who discusses money as being one of them. And uh, it's a very true statement. But Bishop Howard told me, he said, by not doing it, you're actually cheating those folks out of a blessing. And um, not allowing them to be a part of a tremendous revival that God has begun. And so I, uh, I understood that. I knew that doesn't really make it any easier for me to talk about it. I just don't like talking about it. And as I said in that first lesson, I think in, I looked back as far as 12 years, and I think in 12 years it's either been three or four times that I've discussed the subject uh, at length. And so if you're hearing me talk about this for the first time, please understand this is not a subject I talk about a lot, but it is a biblical subject. And as I pointed out in that first lesson, Jesus actually talked more about money than he did about heaven and hell put together. He did. Now, Jesus didn't just talk about things to hear himself talk. If he chose to discuss something, it was because it was important. And furthermore, it's interesting that it was his followers who were inspired by the Holy Ghost to record what he said. There are many of his teachings we don't have. There are things that he said and did. The Apostle John said that if they were written down, the world itself could not contain the books. 
And so we don't have a complete record of everything that he said and did during his time on earth. But under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, his followers were led to write his discussions about money more than the discussions of heaven and hell put together. Obviously, they too saw and understood the importance of this topic. So I guess that means if I was truly going to be apostolic, I'd have to talk about money a whole lot more than I do. Well, I didn't get much of a response. I don't think you want me to be that apostolic. Praise God. But we're going to do it today. We're going to do it today. Leviticus 27, verses 30 through 32. Leviticus 27, 30 through 32. The Bible says, and all the tithe of the land, all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. All the tithe is the Lord's. All the tithe is holy unto the Lord. And if a man will it, all redeem ought of his tithes. And we're going to talk about this verse in a little while. It's an interesting verse of Scripture here. If a man will at all redeem aught of his tithes, he shall add thereto the fifth part thereof. And concerning the tithe of the herd or of the flock, even of whatsoever passeth under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. And so today we are on part three of this lesson that I've entitled The Truth About Tithing. The Truth About Tithing. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's lift our hands, lift our voices. Let's ask the Lord to speak to us today. We need the touch of the Holy Ghost today. name. Could we praise him one more time, everybody, before we're seated? Let's praise the Lord together. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you this morning. You may be seated. Uh, allow me to try to do a brief review today. There are some things that we've discussed over the last couple of weeks that I think bear repeating. First of all, one of the biggest arguments that I hear against tithing 
is that it's based in the Old Testament. As if the Old Testament is no longer of value to us. Now, I would remind you that Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. He said, I came to fulfill the law. Because you see, the Apostle Paul came along and told us that everything that happened in the Old Testament happened for a reason. And the reason was us. That these things are written down for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And so everything that's there is important to us. In fact, the Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And that term means it was God-breathed. This is not a book of the opinions of men. This is the Word of God. From Genesis chapter 1 through Revelation chapter 22, it's the Word of God. Now, Having said that, we do have to learn to rightly divide the Word of God. And so there are things we need to understand. We need to understand the law of Moses. We need to understand the significance of the law of Moses. For again, Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy that. And this is where a lot of people get it wrong. How many times have you heard folks say, we're not under law, we're under grace? As if there is no law that applies anymore. I challenge you to read your New Testament again. And see where, for example, James said that we should look into the perfect law of liberty. People want to think that there's a contradiction between law and liberty. There's not. Do you know why we have liberties in America? Because we have laws. Those laws protect our liberties. And the liberties that we have in the kingdom of God are because there are still laws. There are still things we have to abide by. Things that we need to do. To please God. Things that if we do, we will displease God. And so we've got to look at the law and understand it. And in understanding the law, what many people do not know is that the law of Moses was really broken into three distinct parts. There was, first of all, the civil law. The civil law was the form of government that the Jewish nation held to. As I've pointed out to you, we don't live in the nation of Israel. And the civil laws don't apply to us. These are the laws that they had for crime and punishment. These are the laws that they had 
for taking care of widows and orphans and dealing with strangers who came into their boundaries. Those were civil laws. We don't live by the civil laws because we're not a part of the Jewish nation. Secondly, there was the ceremonial law which dealt with the Jewish religion. This was their holidays. This was um, their dietary rules. It involved their form of worship. We are not members of the Jewish religion today. And so the ceremonial law does not apply to us. We don't worship on the seventh day. It was a part of their ceremony. We worship on what the New Testament church called the Lord's Day. Because the Lord arose on the first day of the week. And so that became a day of celebration. Every time we come together on, on Sunday, we are celebrating His resurrection. Because He rose on the first day of the week. Hallelujah. We don't follow the Jewish ceremonial law. But then there was a third part to this law that was the moral law. And the moral law involved what was right and wrong, what was holy and unholy, what was godly and profane. And I've explained this to you. I was just talking to a pastor yesterday, and he was telling me someone in his church was trying to find a way around a particular scripture. Well, it's the Old Testament, and if we're going to abide by that, then, then we can't eat pork. And, you know, they, they just throw it all together. And I'm telling you that when you do that, you don't have an understanding of the distinction between the civil, ceremonial, and moral law. Eating pork was a part of their ceremonial law. We don't live by that. Men not dressing as women and women not dressing as men is classified as an abomination unto God. Therefore, it's a part of God's morality. And that doesn't change. And we still live by that today. Listen, if you think we're not bound by the moral law, then you are going to have to admit... That under your way of thinking, it's not wrong to commit murder. That it's not wrong to lie, it's not wrong to commit adultery. Because all of those things were under the Old Testament law. They were written down in the Ten Commandments. Why do we still abide by that? Because that's a part of the moral law. Do you understand? You know, this is not a good analogy, but it's the best one I can think of that our U.S. Constitution has evolved since it was written. There have been amendments made. And when it's amended, the things that are written in the Constitution affected by that amendment change, but the other parts don't change. We don't just throw the whole Constitution out because it was amended that a president could only serve two terms. Right. 
right? That there was an amendment made that affected one part of the entire Constitution, but the rest of it remains in effect. So when you look at the law, you need to think of it in that way. There was a new testament, a new will, a new covenant, a new law, if you please, that amended the old law. There were certain parts that were changed. We don't live by the dietary rules. We don't put people to death for committing adultery. But we do still say adultery is a sin. We don't follow the crime and punishment part of it, but we do follow the moral part of it. Am I making sense? What's in the moral law, we are still obligated to keep today. Because he said, I am the Lord, I change not. So if God ever expresses, this is an abomination to me. If God ever said it's an abomination to him, that never changes. For instance, God said witchcraft was an abomination to him. That doesn't change. God still hates witchcraft. God said homosexuality was an abomination to him. That didn't change. It's still an abomination to God. And God said that it's an abomination for a woman to wear that which pertains to a man. And for a man to put on a woman's garment. Because God said that's an abomination to him, that doesn't change. That doesn't turn us into legalists. That means we are moralists. We're following God's morality. Whether we understand why God hates it or not is irrelevant. He said He hates it. That's all we need to know. We're going to do what God wants us to do because this is what God loves or God hates. Listen to me, I, I, and I, I, I know this is still supposed to be part of the review, but I really feel like spending a few moments here today. And I, I've said this before, you know, my wife and I, uh, tomorrow in fact, we'll celebrate 42 years of marriage. 42 years is a long time. Now, I, I'm going to tell you this, that, that when I find out that there is some kind of clothing or some hairstyle she doesn't like, I change it. Not because she's controlling me and I'm living under her law, but because I love her and I want to please her. And so I adjust the way I look to please her. So if God says, I hate it when you do this, that's not legalism to say, okay, God, I love you enough that I'm not going to do what you hate. That's not legalism. That's love. In fact, how can we call it love when God openly says, I hate this, and we say, I'm going to do it anyhow? How can we then say we really love God? If we're just going to go and do what we know he hates. And if we know he loves something and we won't do it. 
how can we really say we love him? Well, praise God. And so when God starts telling us, as I said, what's an abomination to him, that never changes. What's an abomination to God in one place remains an abomination to God. The same thing is true when God starts defining what is holy unto him. What's holy, because he is holy. He's a holy God. Church, I've said this many times, but the seraphim that that surround his throne don't sing love, love, love. Though God is love. They don't sing comforter, 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 though he is a comforter. They don't sing friend, 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 though he is a friend. Do you know what one thing throughout eternity they never stop proclaiming? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In fact, Isaiah saw him singing that in the Old Testament. And John saw him singing it in the New Testament. It doesn't change. God's holiness doesn't change. Well, it's 2022. We don't have to live like... What what did somebody say? I I don't want to look like I live in a little house in the prairie or whatever. Let me, let me tell you something. These, these guidelines that God established were long before a little house on the prairie. This was little tent in the wilderness, praise God. <laughs> and God just doesn't change. And so it doesn't matter what we like or it doesn't matter what year is on the calendar. God doesn't change. He just doesn't change. And I'm glad He doesn't change. He remains the same. And so when God starts expressing, this is holy unto me, He's saying, this is like me. This is who I am. God smiles on it. God loves it. God enjoys it. Hallelujah. My wife has commented a couple of times, and I I don't even realize what's going on, but she'll comment a couple of times. I get around old cars, and she said, the smile on your face says everything. I just enjoy it so much. It makes me happy. It's who I am. And I'm telling you, God's the same way about holiness. And those things that God says are holy to Him, God starts smiling. Come on, church. Now listen, somewhere in the near future, I'm going to be teaching a whole series on holiness and separation. But one of the first revelations we need to get is that this is not bondage. This is not something we have to do. It's something that when we do it, and we do it out of love, it puts a smile on God's face. 
It makes him happy that we love him enough to separate ourselves from the rest of the world and seek to please him. So, we're on the subject of tithing. I'm, I'm really not off topic. But when we talk about tithing in the Old Testament, there were three categories of tithes that the Jewish people paid. And we've talked about this um, in the first lesson, and then I, I discussed it in the review last week. But let me just say it again because people do get confused. And they pull some passage out that says the word tithing. And they think that that applies to the tithing that's still practiced today. And it doesn't. Uh, it's kind of like tongues. You know, you've ever dealt with somebody that has no clue on the subject of speaking in tongues. So they'll go find some scripture that uses the word tongues. Let it be by two or at the most by three. See, all you Pentecostals that are talking in tongues, you're wrong. You're violating the scripture. You don't understand the scripture. There were 120 that talked in tongues the first time. That's more than two or three if my math's right. So when you read scriptures like that, you've got to rightly divide it. You've got to understand it's a different kind of tongues being discussed in that passage. That's talking about the gift of tongues, not the evidence that comes when you receive the Holy Ghost. Just because the word tongues appears doesn't put it all in the same category. Same thing is true of tithing. There were three separate kinds of tithes. There was the poor tithe. Now, think about this. What governs taking care of the poor? The civil law. The laws for the nation of Israel. So they paid a tithe once every three years that went for the support of the widows and the orphans and the poor. It was their welfare system. Now part of that tithe went to the Levites as well. That was a part of their civil law. Does not apply to us. You don't have to pay that extra tithe every three years. Yeah, thank you, Brother Larson. Somebody's brave enough to say it. Everybody else is thinking it. But thank God that we don't have to every third year come up with another tithe. And so, there was a second category of tithe that was the feast tithe. Now, let's again, let's think about this. The feast, that was their holidays. This is not feast like we think of, just eating. That's what they called their holidays. Their feast days. And so... Their feast days were their holidays. This was a part of their religion. We don't observe the Jewish religion. Here's another tithe we don't have to pay today. They did. They did this every year. Another tithe. So think about this now. Every year they're paying a feast tithe. Every third year they're paying a poor tithe. But on a regular basis they're paying another tithe. And that's the Levitical tithe. See, you're getting off cheap. So we don't, we don't keep the feast tithe because we don't observe the Jewish religion. We don't keep 
the poor tithe because we're not living in the Jewish nation. But the Levitical tithe is the one we read in our text that God said is holy unto Him. Now again, when you see holy, think God's smiling. This tithe went strictly for the livelihood of the Levites, of those who ministered at the house of God. That was all this tithe was for. It was to not be used for anything else. Strictly that. This tithe did not start under Moses. This tithe started 400 years before Moses. At least the first recorded incident. And really some think that Cain and Abel may have been paying some kind of tithe in what they did. It was the first fruits that they were offering. But we know for sure because the Bible uses the word tithe that Abraham paid tithe to Melchizedek the priest 400 years before Moses. So don't tell me this started under the law. It started before the law because this is a part of God's morality. As I pointed out in that first lesson, anything that's a part of God's morality did not start under Moses. It was just written into Moses' law. But it already existed. That's why Cain was punished for murdering his brother before it was ever written on a table of stone, Thou shalt not kill. Because that's a part of God's morality. It's why God threatened to kill Abimelech when he took Sarah from Abraham. And he told Abimelech in a dream, if you touch this woman, if you commit adultery with this woman, I'll kill you. Why? There's not even a law written down, thou shalt not commit adultery. But it was a part of God's morality. It started before the law and it did not end with the law. Calvary did not change God's morality. Calvary was because of God's morality. Can I say that again? Calvary did not change God's morality. Calvary was because of God's morality. God's morality says, I'm holy, you're sinful, you can't come to where I am. But Calvary said, I'm going to cleanse you. So you can. That's what Calvary did. But it's because of God's morality that the blood of Jesus was shed. Because we had sins that had to be dealt with. It was because of God's morality that he went to the cross. It didn't end at the cross. Hallelujah. It's still in effect today. God's morality is still in effect today. Now, what I talked about last week was the fact that even though people want to say Old Test, uh, that tithing is an Old Testament doctrine, I, I spent the entire Sunday last week showing you that, that tithing is addressed and even commanded in the New Testament. It is a New Testament doctrine. In fact, we began by showing you that Jesus taught tithing. Jesus said you ought to pay tithe. What else do you need to hear? 
if Jesus said you ought to, then you ought to. Jesus said we have to render to Caesar what's Caesar's, that's our taxes, and render to God what is God's, that's our tithe. Jesus told us to render our tithe to God, to give our tithe to God. The Apostle Paul taught tithing, and I went through in great detail and showed you how he specifically addressed the subject of tithing. Pulling from the Old Testament law to show that, that the whole reason certain things were in the Old Testament law was so that we would understand how the New Testament church ought to operate. Specifically, the livelihood of the ministry. That it was to be done according to the Old Testament pattern. They which minister of the things of God ought to live of the things of God. That was, that was established in the Old Testament and it carried into the New Testament church. And so that's where we ended last week. Now this week we want to discuss um, the practice of tithing. We want to get into more practical terms about this today. How do we do it? How do we go about it? And, and if you've still got questions on the subject of whether tithing is right, I would just encourage you to go to the website, download the last two lessons, and listen to them. And uh, hopefully your questions will be answered. So going off of the fact that I've established that tithing is required in the New Testament, let's talk about how we ought to go about it. First of all, Malachi chapter 3 Verses 8 through 10. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me, but ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithe and offering, tithes and offering. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me. Even this whole nation, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. All right, now, there, there's so many things in this passage that we want to talk about, and I may, Sister Jasmine, I may need to back up again in just a moment, but, but let's look at the verse that is right now on the wall, and again, just confirming the fact of what the tithing was for, what was the purpose of the tithe. I want you to notice, he said, bring the tithes into the storehouse, why? That there may be what? Who's the meat for? Who's going to eat the meat? The minister. That's who's going to eat the meat. Some of it was offered to God as burnt sacrifice. But you go back and read about those sacrifices. And there was a portion of that burnt sacrifice that the priests took. Having meat in his house, not on the altar, but in his house, shows the purpose for them bringing their tithe. Now, the second thing is, I want you to see that God issues a challenge. Prove me. Oh, I can't afford to tithe. God said, prove me. Put me to the test. And see what I'll do. 
See if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there's not room enough to receive. That's an interesting term, open the windows of heaven. Anybody recognize that term from another Bible story? Do you remember when there was a famine in the land? The prophet said, by this time tomorrow, there's going to be plenty. And that old codger, that old doubter, as, as the late Elder Westberg would say, that cat. He said, if God opened a window in heaven, could this be? Well, God did just open the window of heaven. And he gave them so much. They didn't have room to receive it all. And so now he comes back and says, let me remind you. You just put me to the test and see what I'll do. I'll bless you so abundantly if you... Listen, church, do you understand how much? Why is there even an argument about tithing? Do you see how much God loves for you to tithe? God said, if you'll do this, I'll open heaven. God is so happy to see you do it. He said, I'll open heaven. Now, you know, I, I, I guess I should have said this. I don't know why I didn't think about this in lesson number one. I do want to be clear that a tithe is not any amount you choose. The word tithe is an old English word that means tenth. So to say, and I actually, the reason why I'm, Saying this is because I had a preacher in Africa right after we started going there who made a comment. He said, well, I found out that you can tithe without having to give 10%. No, you can't. That's like saying, I can get wet without using water. That's like saying, I can eat. Without any food. Tithe is a tenth. And if it's not a tenth, it's not a tithe. What's my favorite saying? Words mean things. And this word means something. It specifically means a tenth. One tenth. I, uh, I made a statement one time years ago. Another place. What's that old song? Another place, another time. Well, that's older than you are probably. I saw that blank look. On. Of course, today he's going to have a blank look on his face all day. It's just going to be there. His mind is no more here than anything. I'm surprised he can hit the right notes on the keyboard. After tonight, the next time we see him, he's coming back with his bride. And uh, so I'm just telling you, his mind is not here. He has checked out. 
Brother Jared Hilton has left the building. Thank you very much. Uh, how'd I get off on that? Yeah, words mean things, and a tenth is a, a tithe is a tenth. And I was saying something else too, but I don't know what I was saying. Oh, another time, another place. I made a statement. I said, you know, I can tell how much you make just by looking at your tithe, if you're paying your tithe right. And some lady in the church went to somebody else and said, that scares me. She said, how can he do that? Okay, if you're paying your tithe right, then whatever you're putting in, you multiply that by 10 and that's how much you're making. It's not complicated. It's not witchcraft. It's not rocket science doesn't require mind reading, and I don't have to hack into your bank account. If you're doing it right, I can figure out what you make. If you tithe, it's 10%. Anything less than that, you have not tithed. I started to say you've given an offering, but you really haven't even done that. Because you can't start giving until after you've tithed. The tithe is God's. And what you give is beyond what's God's. All right? We'll get into that in a minute, maybe. Um, so, we, where, where's my verses? I, so, he says here, he said, I'll, I'll open the windows of heaven. God loves it when we tithe. Something else, let's back up. Look at verse... Look at verse number 9. The opposite of the blessing he promised in verse 10 is listed in verse 9. If you don't, you're cursed. And why are you cursed? Because you robbed me. God says that 10% is not even yours. You don't get to decide. Now this is interesting. Because God said if you don't do it, you're cursed. But if you do it, oh, I love the fact that you did it. But God, we're supposed to do it. I know. But I just love the fact that you did it. I gave you the illustration last week. I got Brother Hilton's truck keys and handed him the keys and made a big deal out of the fact that I'd just given him a Toyota Tacoma. And nobody was impressed and nobody applauded. Because I really didn't give him anything. I returned to him what was his. Now, if I gave him the keys to my, my car, then I would have given him something. Well, let's see. One of them still got a note on it. You want that one? <laughs> I'll let you pay the note. <laughs> but, but if I give him something that's mine, then I've given. If I hand him what was already his, I've returned. So tithing is not a matter of giving. You haven't given God anything until it's more than 10%. 
God said that this 10% belongs to me. You're not to touch it. You're not to have anything to do with it. I'll curse you if you do. In fact, here's what he said. Back up now to verse 8. And here's what he said about it. He said, will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. And you say, how have we robbed you? He said, you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. God said, I expect the 10%, but I also expect you to do something more. I expect you to give above that 10%. Now, how much? That's up to you. We'll talk about that in a minute. That's up to you. That's where it's an offering. It's what you offer to God. If I tell you how much, if I set a limit, if I mandate a percentage, it's no longer an offering. It may be a gift, but it's not an offering. Words mean things. But God said, I want you to give me something above what's just mine. I want you to choose. But you give me something. More than what you owe me. If you don't, you're a thief. And do you know that in the New Testament, the Bible says that no thief has eternal life abiding in him? No thief is going to inherit the kingdom of God. Did you know that? No thief, no thief, no thief is going to inherit the kingdom of God. I don't care how many times you professed Christ or accepted the Lord. If you're a thief, you're not going to be saved. And God said, if you don't tithe, you are a thief. In fact, you're a thief of the worst kind because you're not just stealing, you're stealing from God. My pastor, when he really wanted to drive this point home, he would tell the ushers, all right, ushers, all right. He said, when you start passing that offering plate, he said, those that don't put their tithe in there, he said, you watch them real close. You keep your eye on them when that plate passes by them because they might just take something out. Oh, I'd never do that. Well, you're stealing from God by not tithing. What's the difference? You're still taking what's God's. Now, this is just me. This is just me. I'm not preaching this as a doctrine. You know, I've been in services, and they're getting ready to pass the plate, and I'll, I'll pull out money, if I'm, especially if I'm visiting somewhere. If I'm here at church, I've got checks made out. I come to church with checks made out. I plan to give when I come to church. But sometimes if I'm visiting somewhere, um, and, and I don't have a checkbook, I'll reach in my billfold and pull out something. And, and I just, I honestly feel condemnation if somehow they miss me and I don't get to put... It's hard for me to ever put that bill back in my pocket because I'm thinking, you know what? I got this out to give it to God, and now it's His. I'm going to make sure it gets in that plate somehow. That's just me. I'm not telling you that's the way you've got to live, but, but I just feel that conscientious about giving to God. In fact, I'm even more conscientious about my tithing. It I literally, it will drive sleep from me if I know I have not tithed. I, I, I can't fathom. It's not in my uh, ability to grasp people who say, I forgot to tithe. Because I'm telling you, the minute, the instant 
that I know I've received money. I can't pay my tithe quick enough. That's me. That's the way. I, I, I don't sit on it. I don't wait. In fact, the uh, system I used to use, I, I had a man tell me one time, said, why don't you just write one check instead of sending a check every week? So I can't do that. If I get paid every week, I'm going to pay my tithes every week. I'm not going to wait and sit on it for a month and then at the end of the month pay my tithe. I, I can't do that. That's me. I can't. That's God's money. I don't want it in my account. I want God to have it. And so I'm telling you, you can look through my checkbook and you'll see. Unless there was some error and something forgot to be entered or something like that. But, but you just look at the check numbers and you'll see deposit, very next thing, tithe. Very next thing, offering. That's just the way it is. That's what I do. Because I am so conscientious about this subject when it comes to what I owe God. All right, now, here, let me prove what I said a while ago. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Wait a minute, wait a minute. To whom is Paul writing? To the church. Everyone say the church. He's not writing, he's not writing to sinners. He's not writing to Old Testament Jews. He's writing to the church, the New Testament church in Corinth. And he says to the church, if you're unrighteous, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, I've accepted Christ. I've professed the Lord as my son. No, no. If you're unrighteous, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Read. Here's what he said to the church. Be not deceived. Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, fornicators nor idolaters, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves. Nor what? 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 Thieves. Nor what? Thieves. Nor what? Thieves. I'm waiting on the rest of you. Nor what? There we go. Still wasn't everybody, but it was close. Probably as close as we're going to get today. Unless I just hold you through lunch until everybody says it. And I'm not going to do that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Brother Self's getting hungry, so he's going to make sure it's... Poor thing's starving. I, I, you can see it. You can see it all over him. He's starving. He's, that's malnutrition, Sister Kim. That's... That's, you see these pictures of these poor children, malnutrition. That's what you're looking at there. That's, that's malnutrition. Praise God. All right. So he said, nor thieves. Nor covetous. Uh-huh. Nor drunkards. Uh-huh. Nor revilers. Nor extortioners shall, shall inherit, inherit the, the kingdom, kingdom of God. God. Thieves shall not. He's writing to the church. If you're a thief in the church, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Is tithing a matter of heaven and hell? You better believe it is. You better believe it is. Because if you don't tithe, you're a thief. And a thief cannot inherit the kingdom of God. All right. I got to hurry. Another thing we need to know about the practice of tithing is when you tithe, it's not for you 
it's not for you. I think every battery we've got in the house is bad. This one just went dead, too. It's all right. I'll just deal with it. I'll just I'll do it the old-fashioned way and not have any help. It really helps me to not stress, strain my voice too much if I've got that little monitor in my ear. But my battery, this is the second time this morning the battery's gone dead. <coughs> I guess I'm just too hot for them to handle this morning. I don't know. It's just I'm overcharging these batteries. I, I don't know what's going on here. Praise God. <laughs> All right. Help me, Jesus. This is what happens when you haven't had any sleep for a week. I don't know how many nights in a row I've had two and a half hours or less asleep. This is what you get. Um, so, where was I? Another thing you need to know about the tithing is when you give it, you give it. You don't control it. You don't say, here's my tithe, use it for this. In fact, I listened to an attorney get up and tell a group of pastors. I was in the meeting, and he told a group of, a pa of pastors from all kinds of denominations. But he's, he said, as an attorney, he said, if you let people put a qualification on their gift, whether it's tithe, offering, whatever it is, they stipulate how, he said, they're not giving that. If they're controlling it, they didn't give it. When you give something, you not only give the object, you give control of the object. First Corinthians chapter 9, verses 9 through 11. For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Uh -huh. Or he saith it altogether for our sakes. For our sakes, no doubt, this is written. That he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great gift? I mean, is it a great thing if ye shall reap your carnal things? And so we, we talked about this passage at length last week. I won't go back through it, but the point was this Paul said, Don't put controls on it, don't set percentages and, and rules and regulations as to how it can be spent. Who gets how much? How much goes to what department? No. If you give it, you give it. And you take your hands off of it. The word muzzle means to restrain, to restrict, to repress, or to suppress. So there are no restrictions. There is no restraint. There is no repression. There is no suppression. If you're truly giving God the tithe. And Paul said that it wasn't because God cared about the oxen that he made this rule. God did it for our sakes, that is the ministry's sake. All right? Because of what he said in Numbers chapter 18, verses 21 and 22. And behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tenth in Israel for an inheritance for their service. Wait, I've given them how much of the tithe? Tenth. But wait, go back. I, behold, I have given the children of Israel all the tenth. All, all the tenth. 
I gave them all of it. The rest of the nation of Israel did not get to come back and tell the Levites. Now, so much of it's got to go to this, and so much needs to go here, and so much of it I want you to spend here. No. God said, I gave all of that to them to be their inheritance for the service which they serve, even the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. Read. Neither must the children of Israel henceforth come nigh the tabernacle of the congregation, lest they bear sin and die. Now, do you understand what he's saying? He just told them to bring their tithe into the tabernacle. And he said, I gave this to the Levites. I gave it all to them. It's under their control. And don't you come near it. In other words, once it's out of your hands, you treat that like the Ark of the Covenant. Don't touch it. Even if you think it's upset and about to spill, you keep your hands off of it. Because it's holy to God. Now, God killed Uzzah because he mishandled the ark. And God will deal with the preacher that mishandles his tithe. I feel strongly I feel strongly about that. God will. He will punish the preacher who abuses his tithe. But it's not for the people to decide. All right? Just giving you scripture. I'm just... Giving you scripture. So God threatened judgment if they even came near the tithe once they had given it. Next, you must not spend the tithe. So, so I'm just giving you some practical things. Number one, don't keep the tithe. Number two, don't control the tithe. Number three, don't spend the tithe. Let me show you something. Leviticus 27, verses 30 to 31. This was from our text. I told you I'd come back and talk about this. Let's talk about it now. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. And if a man will at all redeem aught of his tithe, he shall add thereto the fifth part thereof. All right, now, I love my pastor, and I think all of you know that. But when I first heard this scripture being taught, he taught us that this meant 5%. Well, years later, I got to looking at it, and I said, wait, wait, wait. A fifth is not 5%. One-fifth is 20%. And here's what God said. Okay, so you don't want to give me your tithe? So you decide one month you can't afford to pay your tithe? And you're going to go out and spend it on something else? Thinking I'll just make it up next month? God said, you want to make it up? Do so with interest. Add to the tenth another 20 
10%. So if you're going to spend it this month, then next month, pay 30%. Ooh, that's steep. I think I'll pay it this month, God. Anybody else with me? Am I the only one? I think I'll just take care of it this month, God. I don't think I'm going to fall behind on this one. I, I, I think we're going to get this one squared away right here. Right? Do you understand why I'm so sensitive about making sure my tithe is paid? I, I, God, look, I don't mind just giving you. If you, if you want 30%, I'll, whatever you want, really, I look at it as 100% really as God's. I wouldn't have anything if God didn't give it to me. If he asked me to give him 30, I'd give him 30. But I'm going to tell you, this just tells me God's not in the banking business. God's not trying to make money off of us. God's trying to stress to us, you don't want to keep it. You don't want to let this slide. That's why I say that this is just another reason why if, 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 if I get paid bi-monthly, I'm not going to wait till the end of the month and pay. If I go to work for Labor Ready or one of these guys that pays every day, I'm going to pay tithes every day. That's just the way it is with me, Brother Goff. I'm going to make sure that when money comes into my possession, God gets his portion plus. He gets his portion plus. I don't want God to come along and exact from me, demand of me. Because, see, God has a way of getting that other 20%. God has a way of letting our lives fall apart, and all of a sudden we're spending more than we ever imagined we're spending. And we're saying, where did all that go? God says, <clears throat> that's your interest. Had you just paid your tithes when you were supposed to, you wouldn't be going through this. But um, you think God doesn't do that? You think God doesn't work that way? You might want to go back and read again in, in the end of Chronicles. It talks about, do you know how long the Israelites spent in Babylon? Do you know how long they were there as captives? Does anybody know how many years they spent? Seventy years. Do you know that there was a reason why it was 70 years? Does anybody know that? The reason why it was 70 years is the prophet Jeremiah had prophesied to them. And he said, for 490 years, you were supposed to be keeping the Sabbath every seventh year. You were not supposed to be planting or, or reaping a harvest. Every seventh year, that was God's year. Now, this was in their law. Every seventh year, you don't get out the plow. You don't get out the seeds. Every seventh year, you just let the land lay. That year, you just give it to God. You plan for that. The, the six years leading up to it, you plan for it. The seventh year, you're not going to plant or harvest. That's God's year. But for 490 years, the Jews ignored that. So they owed God every seventh year for 490 years. So one-seventh of 490 is 70. And this is what it says in the book of Chronicles, that they went into captivity until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. So God was keeping records. They thought they were getting by. 
For almost 500 years, they thought they'd really pulled one over on God. But God's the perfect accountant. And one day, God said, okay, pay up now. And he sent Nebuchadnezzar to carry him away. And for 70 years, the land lay desolate. And each year, God's marking a year, paid off. Paid in full. And at the end of 70 years, the decree came, let them go back. I'd rather pay my tithe today. I'd rather just take care of it today. I'd rather get it out of my account today. I don't want God to wait 10 years and say, all right, I'm collecting all of it now. Well, not too many smiles this morning. Maybe I need to tell another joke. Let's see what I can figure out. Um, so what we're talking about, the practicalities here, and I, I, I'm, I'm not far from ending. Um, let's, let's discuss this question. I've had this asked. Do I pay on gross or net? There's so much to this question. Because, see, in the Bible, there was no such thing as gross or net. I mean, they were paying off of their crops. How do you figure gross and net? You know, um, but here's, here's some things that I want you to think about. First of all, when you hired onto your job, what did you agree to? If they said they're paying you $10 an hour, that's what you agreed to. That's what you're making. That's what you're earning is $10 an hour. Now, you're not bringing home $10 an hour. But this is where the Bible says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. So when you get your bring home pay, Caesar has already taken out his part. And you know what he took it out based on? $10 an hour. Oh, it's quiet this morning. And so what you bring home is what's left over after you've rendered to Caesar what is Caesar's. How then can you say, I only owe God a tenth of what's left? Now, I had a man... To me, this, this was way back when I was in college. That was, you know, the Stone Age. I mean, we were having class by campfire and chiseling it out on the rocks and all that. You know, I mean, way, way back there. But, but I still remember a classmate, the subject of tithing came up, and one of the classmates, he just made this comment, and I think he'd heard it somewhere else. I don't think he was wise enough at that point to come up with it on his own. I think he'd heard somebody else say it, but he said on this whole question of, of gross or net, he said, 
the best thing you can do is to answer a question with a question and say, do you want a gross blessing or a net blessing? Which way do you want God to bless you? Now, I'll tell you another story that I heard. I heard an old preacher tell this story many years ago. And he said there was a, there was a country preacher, small rural community, that was teaching on tithing one day. And there was a very wealthy rancher who attended that small church. And he didn't like the idea of tithing. And so he listened to the presentation, and when the preacher got done, the preacher opened the floor for questions. And that wealthy rancher stood up with all of his dignity and pride. And he said, Preacher, I need to ask you a question about this tithing. He said, Suppose that I bought a calf for X number of dollars. He, he gave an amount. He said, and then I had to have the vet come and tend to that calf, and it cost me this much. And then he said, I, I had to go do this, and, and it cost me this much. And he said, just buying certain grain cost me this amount, and the, the medication one time cost me this. And, and then he said, you know, when it was fully grown, I turned around and sold it, and I made this much. He said, so tell me, how much tithe do I owe God off the sale of that cow? And the preacher stood there for a moment, and he looked at him, and he said, well, brother, I ain't smart enough to follow all the math, but I am smart enough to tell you this. If you cut it close on God, God's going to cut it close on you. I don't want to live that way. I want God opening the windows of heaven. I'd rather, I'd rather put too much in than not enough. That's me. I'm not telling you you got to do it that way. I mean, to me, gross or net's not even an issue. I'm just telling you, for me, I'm not preaching this as a doctrine, but for me, someone gives me a gift card for $100. I'm going to write a check out of my account for $10 for tithes. And I'm going to write a check for offering. Because that gift card is the same as if they'd have handed me $100. That's just me. That's how sensitive I am about tithing. That's the way I... Now, I will tell you this. If you're determined that you only owe God based on your net income, then when you get your tax return, whatever's returned to you, you owe God a tenth of that. I'll also tell you this. Whether you pay on gross or net, you get earned income credits. That's earned income. We live in a day and age where some people are actually getting back more than what they pay in. Don't forget, that's an increase to you. Stimulus checks. I had a guy argue with me over, not a member of this church, but, but another man somewhere else, 
argue with me over whether we owed tithe on the stimulus checks that came out during COVID. He said, they're really a loan. It's not really money. It's a loan. You're going to have to pay it back. You don't owe tithes on a loan. I said, first of all, you're not signing any contract for a loan. You're not paying this amount back to the government. You are getting free money. Not free money, but because we are paying for it in the long run. That's the crazy thing. But they're giving you money. And again, I'd rather just give it to God. I'd much rather stand at judgment and God say, that stimulus check, you didn't owe me anything on that. Then for him to say, you remember that stimulus check? 10% of that was mine. Hallelujah. One more thing I'll throw in here. You need to teach your children to tithe. Sometimes people don't think about this. They give their kids an allowance or the kids get birthday gifts or whatever. You need to teach them to tithe. There's no age limit on who steals from God. You know, preschoolers do steal once in a while. I know yours don't. But there are those little demons out there that do. They're not quite as angelic as your children. They do steal. It is possible. And they can steal from God. And you need to teach them the practice. In fact, what does Ephesians 6 and 4 say? And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Teach them what God's Word says they need to do. There's so much in this, and I don't have time to get into it all. My time is, is gone. But look, when it comes to children, even with the standards of the church, you know what I say? I say that th there's issues of modesty that we don't really enforce with small children. But I say when they start school, I think that's a good time to start teaching them how we dress, how we act. You teach them these are the standards that we uphold because when they get to school, they're in teaching mode. That's the perfect time. When they start school, then teach them a few things at home. As a boy, we don't dress this way. As a girl, we don't wear these things. Teach them. And I think school age is a good time to start that. It's not really considered an act, a matter of modesty so much, although in this perverted world, That's another lesson for another day. So we have to train them up in God's way. All right, I've got to hurry. I, I've, I've got to skip through a few of these things. Let's, let's very quickly, so that I don't have to come back and teach another lesson, let me very quickly deal with the whole idea of offerings. And I'm going to skip over the next verse there on the list, and we're going to go on down. Um, I, want to, I want to just deal with the whole idea of offerings, because listen to what Jesus said in Luke 17, verse 10. Luke 17, 10, Jesus made a statement here that we need to pay attention to. 
So likewise ye, when ye have done all those when things, when you've done everything which are commanded, that's you, commanded. Say we are unprofitable say, servants. We're unprofitable. We have done that which was our duty to do. So here's what Jesus said. When you've done everything you're commanded to do, you're still unprofitable until you go beyond what's just commanded. Doesn't mean you're no good. Doesn't mean you're lost. It means you're not really doing the kingdom of God any good. You're bringing no profit, no value to the kingdom of God if all you're doing is keeping what's commanded. So tithing is commanded. And if that's all you do, you're not being a profitable servant. So you therefore need to give to God above the tithe. Now, I don't have time to get into this, but, but make note of this. Numbers chapter 15, verses 5 through 12. In fact, let's, let's read a little bit of it. Let's just read a little bit of this. Numbers chapter 15, verses 5 through 12. And the fourth part of a hen of wine for a drink, drink offering, shalt thou prepare. Shalt thou, wait a minute, shalt thou what? Prepare. Shalt thou prepare, okay. With the burnt offering or sacrifice for one lamb. Uh-huh. Or for a ram, thou shalt prepare. No, wait, thou shalt what? Prepare. I'm waiting on the rest of you to say it too. Thou shalt what? Prepare. All right, read. For a meat offering, two-tenths, two-tenth deals of flour mingled with a third part of a hen and oil. And for a drink offering, thou shalt offer the third part of a hen of wine, for a sweet savor unto the Lord. And when thou preparest... And when thou what? Preparest. Uh-huh. A bullock for a burnt offering. Okay, so, so look, we could keep reading, and, and you'll see this over and over and over. <coughs> what you see in all of this is Israel didn't just show up at the tabernacle and say, hmm, let's see, um, hmm, what am I going to give God today? But before they ever left their home, didn't matter if it's an animal or a meal offering or a drink offering, they didn't just grab what they could find and take it. They prepared it. There was forethought that went into it. There were decisions that they made. This is what I want to give to God today, and I'm going to have it ready so that when I get to His house, it's already prepared. I can give it to God. It's not a matter of just open your billfold. And see what we can find. Now, I talked about, you know, if I go off somewhere. But here at the house of God, where my church family resides, I come to this service fully planning, fully preparing to give. In fact, let me just show you. My Bible, my preaching Bible, in the flyleaf of my preaching Bible. This is just a sample. I got all these in my I've got them prepared. I've got I've got something prepared for each service this week. So we when we take the tithe, I've got my tithe ready. I come back tonight, I got a check already prepared for tonight. I come back Tuesday night, I've already got a check prepared for Tuesday night. Just in case I'm busy next weekend and and don't get a chance to write out a check, 
I got another check for next Sunday night. I'm coming to church prepared to give. I know what I'm going to give God. I've made up my mind, this is what I'm going to do. Now, I know people who who preach, uh, they call it the, the, the half shekel doctrine. Anybody heard of that? Some of you have, the half shekel doctrine. Now, I'm not criticizing these guys, but, but I guess I'm criticizing. The, the half shekel, the half shekel really was not about an offering that they gave to God. And, and when they say that a half shekel was half the tithe, that's not even, that's, no, that's not even right. So, so it wasn't half the tithe. And that's, that's what people, these, these people who have preached this half shekel doctrine, they say you give 10% tithe, you give 5% offering. And that's what God really wants out of you. Now, a half shekel was not half of the tithe. Because they might have made more or less than what a shekel would be. A shekel was a unit of measurement. It was a specific coin, just like we got a half dollar or a dollar, you know, a a silver dollar, whatever. And they had shekels. So it wasn't a shekel was everybody's tithe. It's a misapplication of Scripture at best. But I will tell you this, I, I do personally like to set a percentage. That way I just know this is what I'm going to give to God. Now for me, and I'm not, I don't preach this as a doctrine. I don't tell people to do this. But again, I've stressed how conscientious I am about my giving. So I'm just telling you what I do. When I write out my offering check, I just write a check for the same amount as my tithe. Or thereabouts. If I'm rounding my tithe up, I might make the offering a couple dollars less and even out the amount in my checkbook or whatever. But it's going to be basically the same amount. So basically what I do is 10% is God's. But I just say, God, I love you so much. I'm just going to give you an additional 10 And that's just what I do. But I have never preached that to anybody. Now, there was a time when we had a Christian school here, and we offered to the parents that if you want to do this, you can do a 10 plus 10 and get your kids to come to school free. We didn't charge tuition. If you were giving 10 plus 10, tithe plus 10% offering, then your kids got free tuition. And there were people who started doing 10 plus 10 for that reason, And God started blessing them so much, they just never quit doing it. Even when the school shut down, they just never quit doing it. There are others that I know that do 10 plus 5. They give their tithe plus a 5% offering. I'm not telling you you've got to do anything. But I do think when you do it by percent, you're going to be more consistent in your giving than just sitting down and saying, okay, well, this week I'm going to give God a dollar. If you set yourself to a percentage, I really believe you'll find that you are much more consistent in your giving and much more consistently blessed because of your giving. 
No, it may just be 1%. Try that. God said, try me and see. Didn't he, did he say, prove me? Didn't God say, put me to the test? For those who have never done it, try it. Just try it. You pay your tithes, and, and if you have not been doing this, just write out a check for 1% as an offering. And stay consistent with that 1%. And see if God doesn't start blessing you. And then at some point, you may just increase it to 5. And at some point, you may increase it to 10. She's not here, and I, so I can say it now. It was a matter between her and God. But when my youngest daughter was still at home, she was giving, I think, 30% above her tithe. I just, somehow I guess she saw mom and dad love to give. She didn't have a lot of expenses while she was living at home. And you know what? God blessed her. And blessed her and blessed her and blessed her. And she's still reaping blessings today. Because you can't outgive God. When we talk about outgiving God, tithing alone has promised blessings. But when you start going above the tithe, that's when God really starts smiling. Luke 6 and 38. I'm nearly done. Musicians are sister musician, sister sweetheart. I can call her that on the eve of our wedding anniversary. Forty-two years ago tonight, we were going through our rehearsal. And my mind was not on anything else then either. He's trying to be like his pastor, he said. This has nothing to do with his pastor. It has everything to do with Andriana. Don't let him fool you. So Luke 6 and 38 says this. Give and it right, shall now, now be. Let's start right here. Tithing, again, is not giving. It's returning. So here's what Jesus said when you start giving. Give and what? And it shall be given it unto you. It shall be given unto you. Good measure. Good measure. Pressed down. Pressed down. And shaken together. Shaken together. And running over. And running over. Shall men now, now, get now, we, don't, we, don't, we don't get this because we do things so different. You know, today you, get, you go and buy a box of cereal, family size. But they're hoping the family only consists of one person because you open this big box and there's a little bitty bag down here. They take a bag of chips and pump it full of air, you know, and then you got a handful of potato chips in the bottom of that bag. But, but what Jesus was saying here, it was the old practice of when they went to the market. People learn, you know, certain things, certain items, you know. You'd have peas, you'd have different things, green beans or whatever, that you could just kind of pour them in a basket, and, and there would be a certain amount of air that would keep it, and it would make the basket look like it was full. But when you found a guy at market that was really conscientious and really generous, he would take that basket of peas or 
green beans or whatever it was. And he'd shake it. And all of that would settle down. And then he'd put more in there and shake it until it settled. And once it was no longer going down, then he would take it and press it. And you could fit even more in the basket. And you put some in and shake it and press it and shake it and press it. And Jesus said, if you'll just give, this is what I'm going to see to it happens to you. If you'll give, that is above the tithe. If you'll give, I'm going to see to it that men. Isn't this interesting? God said, if you'll tithe, I'll open the windows of blessing, uh, the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. If you'll tithe, I'll bless you. But if you'll give, I'm going to make sure men bless you. And they're going to bless you in such a way that it's not just going to look full. It's going to be good measure, shaken, pressed down, and running over. Oh, hallelujah. I'm telling you, that's the way God honors it when we start going above what He requires of us. Rather than trying to just beat, uh, meet the bare minimums, just get, do enough to get by. I just want to stand on the line. No, no, no. God, I love you so much. If I know you want 10%, I'm going to go way across that line because I love you enough. I, I'm going to show you my love by doing far more than what you're asking of me. And when God sees that, He says to this man over here who may others unjustly he may treat others unfairly but when you show up all of a sudden something stirs in the heart of that man and he gets the basket down and he starts shaking it and said let me give you a little bit more and he presses it down let me give you a little bit more I don't know why I'm doing this listen I've had those testimonies I've had people say I don't even know why I'm doing this but I want to do something more I don't have time, I don't have time, I don't have time to talk to you about the widow of Zarephath, but it's, it's in my notes, 1 Kings 17, you can go home and read it. But here is a woman who's out gathering sticks so she can build a fire. She has just enough meal to fix one last supper for her and her son. And her testimony was, when, once we eat this, I've got nothing else in the house. And then we begin the process of starvation. We're just going to die. This is, this is all we've got. And some greedy preacher shows up. Not really greedy, but that's what the world would have called it. And the preacher was hungry. And the preacher says to this widow woman, um, would you go fix me something to eat? She was kind. She said, sir, I'm, I'm out here gathering these sticks because I have enough left for one final meal for me and my son. And that's all we've got in the house. And once we eat that, we're going to starve. We've got nothing else. And that preacher said, tell you what, fix me something first. Did you not hear what I just said? I said, this is all I have. 
And once I use this, I don't have anything else. No, fix me something first. And then fix something for you and your boy. And do you know that woman did not argue? She didn't complain. She didn't whine. She didn't beg. She didn't debate. She went home, fixed that preacher, that last bit of food. And when he got through and his belly was full, he said, now, I want you to go over there to the barrel and fix you and your son something. Uh, <laughs> when I got out of the barrel, that, that no, no, go, go back and look. Now, you can believe what you want to. Personally, I don't think that the barrel was full. I think, Brother Goff, that she walked back over there thinking it was empty, but she looked down there and she said, what do you know? I didn't realize I'd left that much down in there. There's still enough in there. I can fix another one. But the oil, I know I used the last drop of oil, but now wait a minute. I think there's enough oil in there. So she fixes one more. The next morning she gets up. She says, man, I'm hungry, but I know I used it all. But she walks over to the barrel and says, wait a minute. There's enough down in there to fix breakfast this morning. Huh? And, and, and the oil. And, and throughout that time of famine, when everyone else was starving, this little woman, I don't think she had a barrel full and a cruise full. But I do think that when you added it all up over the period of the famine, it was good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. I think that every time she went back, she had what she needed. That's where some of you don't realize. You say, well, I've tithed, and I've given, and I didn't see it come back in. Because you're expecting a lottery. You're wanting to give God $5 for a scratch-off ticket and win $4.8 billion. And that's not the way this works. But the way it works is you give God what's His. And then when you get ready to go buy your groceries, somehow there's enough. I didn't think I'd have enough, but I had enough. Hey, I've been driving down the road, the gas tank on empty. Out in the middle of nowhere one time. We were, I mean nowhere, rolling hills. And we had driven and driven and driven trying to find a gas station. Couldn't find one. And finally I could tell the thing's about to, to run out of gas. I said, just take this exit. We took the exit, kind of coasted down the hill. Got down to the bottom of the hill. And lo and behold, there was a little old gas station there. It looked like it was 100 years old or so. But we just coasted up to the pump. Got the gas we needed. Do you know why we were able to make it? Now, God didn't just send an angel down and fill up my gas tank for me. But he saw to it I had enough. I can't tell you how many times I've been right at the end financially. And God gave me just enough.
Oh, I could tell you stories. I could tell you stories. Some of you have got stories as well. You've learned firsthand it really works. You can't beat God's plan. You just can't. It works. When you do things God's way, God will honor his word and he will take care of you. Let's stand this morning.